You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Happy New Year, everybody. Can we, is it too late to say Happy New Year? I'm not sure. All when was the last time you said Happy Yesterday. New Year? Uh, no, actually, I lied this morning to you both when I came on this call. <laughs> oh. I, have a, I have a thing about Happy New Year and people saying it's too late. I think as long as you haven't seen anyone for the year yet, it's perfectly fine to say Happy New Year. And I almost feel anxious anyone. when somebody says, well, not anyone, but people you would like to wish a Happy New Year to. <laughs> but when somebody says, is it too late to wish a Happy New Year? I think, what, was I supposed to have done a lot of stuff since the start of January? Like, I'm still easing into the year, you know what I mean? So, for me, it's very much a... But surely there is a limit. Yeah, I mean, March there is, is probably Lizzie, a I mean, there, like, correct, or there's a limit. There is, you can't... When you see someone for the first time in April, you can't say... I think happy January New year. January is totally valid, all of January. So, Happy New Year oh, okay. to you both. And to everyone listening, obviously. Yes, of course. Nice save. Uh, Lizzie, Happy New Year to you. Have you had a good start to the year? Happy New Year. Well, I have because there's been some bike racing to watch and it's been very, very good bike racing. (laughs) She's always uh, pulling the line, always on the record. Bringing you back in. (laughs) Bringing it back in. Let's not have any of that. Gastric flu and all sorts, scarlet fever. But yeah, let's get to the racing. (laughs) Uh, That's true. Well, we are, you know, we are so lucky to have... uh, you know, start of the year and to have some great racing to talk about almost immediately. All of it going on uh, down in Australia, of course. We've had the Australian National Champs. We'll be hearing from Brody Chapman, the new uh, champ- national champion of Australia. I've literally spent all morning uh, fudging the line Australian National Championships. And I've just done it again <laughs> there. But we'll uh, moving on. And also the Tour Down Under. And just before we started recording, all we're saying how thrilling... She found the tour down under. So we're going to uh, be talking about uh, that. Uh, but first of all, we're going to go straight into your news roundup. Or This has got to be the, the quickest route into a roundup we've, well, we've had this year. We'll say that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll start as we mean to go on. But yes, the Women's World Tour is underway. Can I have a whoop whoop? Whoop whoop. There we go. <laughs> Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? We usually have to wait until March and try to be angry, but... The returned Santos Tour Down Under is now on the Women's World Tour. So after a two-year COVID hiatus, the race is back and bigger than ever in terms of significance, at least. The overall win was taken by Grace Brown for the first time of her career. Can I just do, um, divert ever so quickly to say, do you know what I started talking about? The fact that we're talking about the Women's World Tour. I literally have goosebumps. Can you see that? I didn't realise I was so excited about the racing being underway so quickly. But I'm really... <laughs> because actually... And look, all very cold. I'm actually very not cold, very, very cold. Very the sleeves of my woolen jumper are rolled up to my elbows. I'm practically melting in the Amsterdam heat. Um, no, because the, because I've really enjoyed the racing already. It's been brilliant. Anyway, I'm I'm uh, diverting before I even get into it. The overall win was taken by Grace Brown for the first time of her career after an almighty and highly entertaining battle with fellow countrywoman. Amanda Spratt. We'll get into that battle in a bit, but Brown is in storming form after becoming Australian national time trial champion a few weeks ago. She won the final stage and the overall by 10 seconds, and it was a beautiful contest between the two Australians with Spratty, as she's affectionately known. I think she probably is okay with that nickname. I always I find it a bit blokey. Is it okay to call her Spratty? 
Well, she, I think she likes being called has a first Spratty, name, doesn't does she? she? <laughs> like a Brazilian footballer. <laughs> I like Spratty. that. Spra- Spratty and messy. That's good. Um, that's super. You're going to call I, her Bratty. Also, <laughs> because they were, <laughs> that's not fair. I was mixing up Messi and Bappy and Spratty in my head and it came out as Bratty. There's a combo. Anyway, Spratty. Um, I do have to say, I love her nickname, but I do always find it really awkward interviewing her and being like, so, um, Spratty. Do you um, say Spratty to her face? I would call her Amanda to her face. Well, because it feels weird to be like, oh, Amanda. Because no one ever calls her Amanda. Ever, ever, ever. Probably her mother. Amanda or Spratty, if you're listening, let us know what's the etiquette. Because sometimes (laughs) with these things, it's okay to call someone by their nickname when you're talking about them. And then it feels odd to do that to their face. Maybe that's just me. I'm not a nicknamey person. I'll call her Amanda. You guys oh, call her Spratty. Know. Then we've got all bases covered with that day. Can anyway. we call her Mandy? Mandy. <laughs> oh, I bet she hates that. Yeah, you go Mandy. Yeah, between us, we'll have we'll have every option. Anyway, um, she was back to the form of her career, wasn't she, with her brand new team, Trek Segafredo. She finished second in the race and she has won three times. Um, but we are going to discuss these riders amongst others. But even though she finished second, I would say that Spratty, Amanda, Mandy's finish didn't do justice to the thrilling, dominating way, frankly, that she raced. She grabbed that race like a cattle rustler on the rampage in the middle of the night. And it was wonderful to watch. Um, so it was one, two for Brown and Spratt with Georgia Williams of EF Education, Tibco, SVB in whoop, third. Whoop. <laughs> Which, you know, she has come out and said that those are the best results that she's ever had. And she's my teammate. So I'm just going to put out a big whoop whoop there. And I think Good. that's just really exciting for her because that, you know, last year she had the best season she's ever had. And now she's on my team and it's January <laughs> and she's already had a better season. So, um Really exciting for for Georgia Williams. Yeah, absolutely brilliant result for her. And a brilliant result as well for Daria Pikulik of Human Powered Health. She won stage one, and that was a first World Tour win for both the rider and the team. She's a 26-year-old Polish rider who was on your old team, Lizzie, actually, before you were there, though. She was on Big Glad back when it was Sir Bella Bigland in 2017. Yeah, she is interesting. A a track rider. as well as Rose, yeah, yeah I, I'd love to get her on the on the pod and do a kind of a full, um, full history of Daria Pikovic because she was on Atom <laughs> De- Developer, which was a, you know it's a small Polish UCI team last year, and she came across to Human Powered Health, mm. and I mean that sprint on the first stage of the Tour Down Under, it was hotly contested. Yeah, it wasn't, you know there wasn't nobody mm. there, and you know. You know, racing snobs might say, well, you know, half of the world tour wasn't there, but it was a really hard sprint. Um, And I think that Human Powered Health this year have got, I mean, they've really strengthened their roster. They've got Alice Barnes coming in and the late additions of Mylene Van Kalouf and Jesse Van Buchler from what was um, Lecole Wahoo have even further strengthened that sprint side. So I think when it comes to the sprinting in the world tour, they're going to go from sort of not really being anywhere to suddenly being actually really up there in the battle. And Daria Pikulik, having had that win on the first day of the World Tour of 2023, is, you know, it's going to be an absolutely huge motivator. And, you know, for a lot of people, well, and well, I think really for anybody, she's just come completely out of nowhere. Uh So very, very exciting talent. Yeah, huge. Well, also the way that she won it as well. I mean, she she went from a long, long way out and just had a really long, sustained... Uh, effort, you know, it's not like they had the the strongest team there. Certainly, um, 
no Jacob, one could touch her. Alula. They could be looking at my nose to find yeah. Alula. Jacob Alula. I'm never <laughs> going to get that right It takes a long time, year. doesn't it, to get used to the new names and the new team configurations, I think. It takes me until March, at least until I recognise what riders wear for a start. Yeah. So uh, they, they're the former team bike exchange uh, team, Jaco Alula, and they they had the numbers in that sprint and uh, Pickalick just, you know, took it, was, you know, so low at the end there and just uh, took it. She just kept going. She kind of like came from behind, passed everybody and you thought that people were going to pass her and yeah, she just, just kept going. It was it was really quite impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So brilliant start for her. Brilliant start for human powered health. As you say, Lizzie, people may not know very much about Pickalick, but... Um, as I say, she is a track rider as well, and she won bronze in the Omnium at the 2020 Worlds and really looking like she's going to make a mark, uh, well, has made a mark already this season on the road. So uh, watch out for her. We mentioned Team Jaco Alula. They did get a win at this race. Alex Manley took stage Your two. sister. Your sister, your cousin, <laughs> the um, distant, My strange distant sister relative who, you know, who refuses to acknowledge me I mention it all the time. Um, at every yes. time. One day we'll get her um, excited about the fact that you kind of share a surname, but that hasn't happened yet. Let's Ian Biggs for 20 minutes. She doesn't know who you are, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> she needs to get listening. Alex, hello, you. Um, but yeah, she had a wonderful, that was a wonderful team effort, really, from um, Jaco Alula to bring back one of those charging Amanda Spratt attacks. And Grace Brown took the final stage. Um, now, in other news, we've mentioned them already, but um, Lacole Wahoo, formerly known as Drops, the British Continental, Continental team who looked like they were going to fold at the end of last year, hence those late uh, departures from the team and on to the likes of Human Powered Health, among un- other squads. They've been given a lifeline and re-energised as Life Plus Wahoo. So they did have a €400,000 budget shortfall, you may recall, at the end of last year. And now they've been joined by wellness company Life Plus. And so they have a team of 12 riders, two new sports directors, and hopefully for them, the chance of an invite to Women's World Tour races. It's still being led by Tom Varney, who, um, along with his father Bob, ran um, Drops and Lacole Wahoo. And it is a sad goodbye to the Vargarda West Sweden road races and no team time trial either as the organisers say they are calling an end to the races which have been running since 2006 for the road race and 2008 for the time trial. They had been Women's World Tour events so two fewer days in the Women's World Tour this year and they would have been running the weekend after the first unified world champs in Glasgow and just before the Tour of Scandinavia which is still going ahead. Um, so this is now being confirmed that Vargarda West Sweden is no more. But Lizzie, when I said that I'd seen it written um, in the press, you were like disappointed. You had the scoop on this, didn't you? You knew before the rest <laughs> of us I, did. But you did have the, I had the we scoop. We just didn't get it out there. <laughs> I did have the scoop because you said it was reported by Cycling News 12 hours ago. And I think I knew about 16 hours ago. Oh. I just didn't tell anybody. Hannah Nilsson of Saratiz at WNT Pro Cycling um, told me last night that the Swedish Traffic Authority have um, Im- implemented rules that were threatened a couple of years ago that now make it incredibly difficult to close roads. Um, and I, I think it was back in 2020 that the Swedish National Championships was under threat because um, they, they basically couldn't close the roads because it was too important for the cars to be driving on that road at a, at a certain time and these these implementations didn't go ahead but now they have gone ahead and and Hannah told me that it basically means that it's just impossible to close roads now the report on cycling news says that the um director of Crescent Vergara 
is cancelling the race due to financial costs. And I don't know whether those two are linked, whether it is still possible to close roads, but it is much, much more expensive. But it seems too much of a coincidence that these two things happened on the same day. Um, what I also don't know, if this has an implication for the Swedish National Road Championships, um, as was reported in 2020, uh, it was really you know, a big question as to whether this could even take place. Um, and there will also be an implication for the the Battle of the North, um, which went into Norway, Denmark and Sweden. And I, we don't know now whether or not Sweden will be able to partake in that race. I just think it's a real, uh, real shame having been to Vorgorda a couple of times. And uh, it's, you know, it's a small community. It really is kind of the middle of nowhere. And um, they shut down their roads for a couple of days and everybody gets out that, you know, there's big par- big street parties, uh, people putting up decorations everywhere. Um, you know, there's drums, there's music. Everyone kind of, kind of comes together in that community to celebrate uh, women cycling. And so for me, it, it's, you know, we always get a great race um, out there. And also it's one of the few times that we get, or team is it time now trial. probably the team only time, time you trial, get a team yeah. time trial almost, um, apart from maybe the Dura Rosa. But um, so it's such a shame to lose that race, which, you know, has been around for years and has such a great community spirit and is also now actually becoming one of the well was one of the few races which is uh a f- totally a women's uh cycling race yeah. only it's not just pegged onto the men's uh, you know it's not some kind of inconvenience that people feel like they have to do to, to tick be, a box um to tick a box you know it, it really is totally community uh run and uh you know even coming down to like the, the tv production it's like a local tv channel that runs it um and so it, it, for me, it's really, really sad to see it, huh. it leave the calendar because it, it really had a vibe there that was unlike uh, any other uh, any other race. And it's just um, sad to see a, a somewhere that, that's been championing women's cycling for so long uh, to be kind of pushed out of the market. Um, yeah, so it's, that's a real, uh, real disappointment. It's a race the teams love as well. Like you say, it's one of the only, you know, you might get a chance to do a team time trial in a stage race. There was one. Um, in Tour of the Pyrenees this year um, and and like you say often have it in the Giro Rosa but to have it as a standalone single day race um, where yeah. you know you go with your strongest time trialling team and, and it's just such a great opportunity to do that because now we have the mixed time trial relay in the World Championships but that is with your nation not with your trade team um, and the road race which was partly on gravel which was one that was absolutely loved by the teams and the riders so yeah, it's a huge shame. I never got to race there, which I'm quite gutted about, actually. Um, so I'm hoping this is all fake news. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be. But um, maybe, I guess, the financial difficulties that have prevented the organisers from going ahead with it this year can be rectified in some way for next year. I think that's probably the only hope or maybe even in time for this year. But um, I guess as well, the problem with the state of the calendar right now is it would have made it incredibly packed anyway wouldn't it you know coming off the back of the mm. world championships the women's race is it is at the start of the world championships at least so it gives that extra bit of time um but we mustn't we shouldn't blame the races that are already there for the calendar oh, being oh packed. absolutely absolutely not that. absolutely not i'm just wondering given the state of the rest of the calendar how much impetus there will be from beyond the race itself and the organizers yeah to, to inject the funds back into it to be able to stage it again Mm. I'd much rather mm. see Vergara continue than have new mm-hmm. race. You know, for all the reasons that Rose said, 
and mostly for me because I've never been there, but mostly because it is has been it has been one of the mainstays. And the fact that it was a woman standalone race for such a long time, when it was really not the fashion or the trend at all, and it gave the woman their own platform in a in a proper full way. I felt um, it was a it was a standout race for that reason. You know, I think it stood out in the calendar. Yeah, so agree. it's a, it's a massive shame. Um, my point about the the congestion of the calendar. Um, if congestion is what you can call it, but I just mean in that very specific time frame this year with the World Championships coming where they are, is whether there'll mm. be that desire and drive to put it back in again for this year because because there might be a case of, well, okay, it's all a bit busy anyway, you know. I'm sure that doesn't factor into it, but these things uh, matter when it comes to how much momentum you give to to saving a race and um, getting one back again. Um, anyway, that is um, pretty much the end of the news roundup, except that um, I was going to say that Lizzie has some pregnancy news that she wanted to add in, but it's not Lizzie's news. And I realised that I need to get that in quite quickly. But when I was going through what I had in the news roundup earlier, Lizzie pointed out a few um, uh, happy announcements that we've had from amongst the women's peloton. Well, I think it's it's funny that this is still news, isn't it? And I think for the moment, this is still news that we have two more written riders. Who... I think it always will be. Uh, well, I don't know. I wonder if we'll get to the point... career break, really. Mm. Yeah, I wonder if we'll get to the point where it's it's less surprising news that we have a, a female rider who's having a break for pregnancy. But we have two pregnancy uh. announcements, um, Joss Loudon of UNOX Pro Cycling um, and Omar Shapira of EF Tipco SVB. And one, I assume, planned of Joss Loudon and um, publicly announced by Omar Shapira, very much unplanned. And it's quite interesting because before we were recording, we were talking about... Um, the implications of becoming pregnant and the change uh. on your body. And um, Omar Shapira has talked a lot very openly on her social media about um, her her battles with, with eating uh, and with weight and with, with body dysmorphia. And um, she's also spoken now about how she's finding it very difficult now that she's pregnant, yeah. how to manage that um, the eating and the fact that her body is changing and accepting that. Um, and also because it was an unplanned pregnancy, the fact that she doesn't actually know whether or not she will continue her cycling career at the beginning, she thought, well, no, of course, I'm not going to carry on. I'm going to be a mum now. But having seen the likes of Lizzie Dignan, uh, Marta Bastianelli, you know, there are so many other women who are are taking breaks for pregnancy, Chantal, Chantal Vanderbroek Black, of course, um, and coming back strongly from it, that she's inspired by these women and has said that she's going to leave that decision until after she has her child um, and and basically see how she feels. So it's, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I don't know what Joss Loudon will do after she has um, her baby. I hope she will return to the Peloton because she's definitely, uh, yeah, a huge talent. Well, I hope she'll return to the Peloton if she wants to, but um, I don't know yet what, what her plans will be after, after giving birth. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimise your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalised analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, title sponsors of the Cycling Podcast. Now, if you want to find out more information about their system of continuous glucose monitoring, then head to their website, supersapiens.com. 
They have a really interesting blog post they put up at the beginning of the year that answers some of the big questions that they get asked about Super Sapiens. Uh, For instance, why would someone use a continuous glucose monitor? And they say there that a lot of users use it to seek help with their performance nutrition to help avoid bonking. And many use it also to experiment with different fuel sources or fueling strategies or nutrition products. But once they start using Super Sapiens, however, they start to see the broader benefits too, whether that's during their training and performance or whether that's in their non-exercise hours too. So if you want to find that blog post or you want to find out more about Super Sapiens system of continuous glucose monitoring and how it can tailor your training and fueling for success, then head to supersapiens.com. Well, it's one of those quirks of the uh, cycling season, isn't it, that the Australian National Championships always seems to get so much uh, attention right at the beginning of the year because they, they happen when no one else, no, no other racing is going on um, because it seems every year we kind of talk to the national champion, but a great national champion this year uh, in the form of Brodie Chapman taking her first ever Australian national championship title. Um, and uh, it's uh, a great time also to reflect on the fact that the Australian national champs was one of the first races she ever did, one of the first UCI races, in fact, that she ever did uh, back in 2018. So I caught up with her a bit earlier and here's what she had to say. Okay, well, Brody, first of all, congratulations on the uh, Australian National Champs uh, jersey. You gave such a great interview on the finish line. I mean, has it has it sunk in yet? It's been sinking in recently. Um, just that, like, winning a race definitely feels good, but it's like a fault. I actually had been enjoyed more talking about what happened during the race. That's what the joy is like how the race unfold, like how he got to the finish line first, um, is what I've enjoyed reflecting on the most. It is good. It's cool to put the jersey on every day and I haven't got my full tricks of Gafredo um national team national champions kit yet. So that's also another little exciting thing to look forward to once I get back to Europe. But obviously that I mean this race is special for everyone. I mean any national championships is special for the people who who are participating in it, but it must be particularly special for you you know, knowing what a pivotal uh, role the race uh, had for you in 2018 when it kind of really put you in the spotlight. Yeah, it definitely feels like the ultimate test. And I think because, yeah, it was one of the first, well, it was the first race I ever did amongst an international field. Like I understand like the race against the pros. Um, It's also very, very hotly contested in Australia because I think it is like, it's the big stage for the strong up and coming domestic riders to show themselves and the probably kind of in a strange place when they're not quite fit but it still matters to everyone and I, I think I knew that because I I do get really nervous for nationals and think about it a lot and you know I'm like I don't get like that with every race yeah it definitely means a lot to me and just thinking back to 2018 I mean how far have you come from then because I mean then you were still uh, working at bike exchange you know effectively having like you know an office job yeah. I've learned so much like you know, you don't necessarily have a, what do you call it, like a linear path to getting constantly improving. I actually said that to myself when I was kind of thinking about how the race would unfold. I'm like, I haven't been here for a few years. I've had three years on a good professional team in Europe since I last raced it. Uh, 2020, 2021 and 2022. There's no way that I'm not smarter. I'm way better at conserving energy. I'm better at reading the race. I'm better at fueling. I'm better at preparing. So all those things um, fully made a difference on the day. Like it didn't feel like a fluke or didn't feel like I was a dark horse. It was like, 
um, me and Loretta and Freddie and Cohen and the car, like we, we executed the race perfectly. And, you know, what is it like being now with Trek Segafredo and that being your first race with the team and obviously Amanda Spratt's first race with the team also? How did you guys, uh, as a three with Loretta Hansen, approach uh, a race where effectively you haven't actually ridden together uh, under the Trek Segafredo umbrella before? Yeah, and we took it really well. I mean, I have raced with Spratty and the teammate of the path on the national team, and um, I learned a lot from her professionally. Um, she medaled at two of the world championships, and she'd got a she won a lot of races herself. So I had a lot, you know, I can always learn from how she used the race. I'm um, a good friend of Loretta. I know her strength. I know her motivation. Actually, that first year in 2018, her and I were kind of the ones getting dropped and then coming back together and getting dropped and coming back together. So it was actually really cool that we returned to nationals. Um, to fight for the win. Yeah, I mean, we're all professional riders. We knew our uh, competitors quite well, what their strengths were. We all knew, I think, the best thing was our individual strengths. So there wasn't this sense of competition between us. It's like, who's going to be the leader? Like, well, we all have an opportunity to use our strength to get to the finish line first. And that's pretty much how it unfolded. And good communication. Yeah, it's definitely Spratty and I were very um, inspired by being on a new team and a new kit. So it's uh, good to win a race. First, first race of the year. And, you know, what is it like having Amanda Spratt now as a, a teammate, you know, when going back to 2018 again? I mean, you guys were in the select group at the end, but, I mean, this was one of your uh, first races, like UCI races, and for Amanda Spratt, she's already an established name, and now, you know, you're both in the same team together. Well, it's a relief to have her on my team. <laughs> to race against her, like. <laughs> um, no, I, I when I joined Chance Freddie, I didn't know um, Freddie was going to be my teammate. And when I heard Wisdoms and I confirmed it, but I was really stoked. I mean, she has a super long and successful career. She's known quite well as a crafty racer. She's overcome some hard years and she's incredible on the climbs. Um, she's she worked as a teammate before. She's been worked for. So I feel like she's just the whole package when it comes to an Australian professional cyclist. And, you know, just on, on Amanda Spratt and her form, I mean, she was riding phenomenally at, at the Tour Down Under um, this week. You know, do you think that she's back to her best after a few years kind of uh, on the sidelines? Yeah, definitely. I don't think I don't think we've even seen the best of it yet. I mean, um, it's amazing to see her back after the, the hard couple of, like, last year and a bit she's had um, with the iliac artery surgery and then um yeah post tour de france crash so yeah seeing what she could do at tour de france like no one could follow her on those on those explosive climbs and that's where she excels so it's a really good sign for the seasons going forward and i think she will also work really well with you know elisa mondobogini and lizzie diagner like they're also experienced riders with lots of results and i think those three together will be like you know, a really good trio in the races. And for you this year, what are you looking to to get out of it? You know, do you have ambitions of your own? I would really like to, first of all, I'd love to contribute to some big wins and I'd also like to take some big wins myself. Um, I'd, you know, I'd love to be able to give to the team and then have them trust that I can figure out how to win a race and that I'm strong enough to win a world tour race. Um, if you're going to put all your faith in one person, you want to know that they're capable. And I do believe I'm capable. Um, and that's yeah, that's what I want. I want to be able to win some races, but I'm really excited to learn from those um, girls' names I just mentioned because I've done a lot of winning, <laughs> and I'm most excited to just you know see how they approach a race and where I can fit into that. I mean, obviously, those riders um, like Lizzie Dynan, they they've been professional athletes for 
years and years and years. I mean, I mean, since they were, you know, kids. For you, do you bring a different perspective by being a, a rider that's coming to it slightly uh, later on? You know, you've lived kind of a um, kind of a normal life before being a pro athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what I bring to it is I feel like I'm quite adaptable and flexible. And it's also the kind of awe of, yeah, traveling and racing my bike, which obviously just started as a really overbearing passion. It's not lost in me. I still um, I still feel that every time I ride and I still feel everywhere I travel, I'm like, this is so cool. I'm like in this country and now people live here and like, look at this landscape. So I think I maybe if you had been doing it since you were really, 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 really young, um, maybe for some people, those things can get a bit lost. You know, as an athlete, you're very focused on the here and now. Um, but I've probably just taken a lot more of those other things. And yeah, I mean, I've been looking at these athletes before I was pro, like, or like celebrities, you know. So yeah, I do think my life experience helps a lot. Like, then certainly if I'd come into the sport at you know, 19 or 20, um, I'd have a lot, a lot more learning to do. <laughs> do you think that's, do you think it's ever difficult? Because obviously, you know, it's, it's great being a cyclist and seeing these places, but then you can't you know, see this beautiful piazza and sit down and have a glass of wine in it, you know, there are things to do and uh, commitments that you, have to, uh, that you have. Is it ever hard to kind of reconcile that kind of free-spiritedness with a, a sport that is quite kind of regimented? Yeah, it's a good question. It is sometimes because we're like, I think Spratty actually said in an interview recently, and you're always like, oh, I want to come back here on holiday. I'm going to come back here on holiday. Because um, as much as we are traveling around, when you are on tour, like every day is a schedule. You're waking up maybe when you don't want to wake up, you're eating a lot of food at the time, you don't want to eat a lot of food, you're traveling and then you're going to these different places. You, like, you know, it, it is quite, um, you know, kind of feels chaotic and exhausting. Even when I am, if we, you know, in a certain town, I've had teammates in the past, we've gone out and like, let's walk into the piazza, let's get a coffee. Like, and Australian friends, we always like to try and find a special coffee shop to sit at. And yeah, so, I mean, certainly some athletes don't like to do that, but for me, it helps me just get a bit out of my head and enjoy the location. It's actually helped me be more pregnant, um, you know, because the race of the race. And when it's race time, I'm fully in race mode. But around that, yeah, I think I've finally found a good balance, probably in the path, so maybe not, but it's hiding one. <laughs> and how much are you looking forward to bringing uh, the Australian jersey to, to Europe later in the year? I'm really looking forward to it because it is such a crazy thing that you win a race once and then you get to kind of like remind everyone <laughs> the whole year, I won a race. <laughs> Oh, I'm the national champion. Um, which, like, what other race do you do that? Like, of course, being the world championships, like, next. Um, so, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Like, some races, they might call you up the start line or they'll, like, name but like, like, it's the national champion of Australia and you have a different jersey on. So, um, your washing doesn't get lost with everyone else's. And then I look forward to that. <laughs> but then it means also you can't forget your kit because then you can't swap with someone else either. <laughs> Oh, I didn't actually think of that. I'm going to have to keep on, like, in my backpack at all times. Although, no, I'm pretty good with that. I think I might give off the uh, vibe that I'm highly disorganized and Etsy, <laughs> but it's actually about if I am overthinking everything. That was Brody Chapman, of course, the new Australian champion, also a new member of the uh, Trek Segafredo uh, squad. Well, Lizzie, you know, what did you make uh, of a, a powerful Trek Segafredo at the Australian uh, National Championships? Well, I thought they were great. And I think, firstly, I'm so happy for Brodie Chapman because she has been, you know, I'd say quite quietly getting better and better. And I guess last year it wasn't that quiet because she was really crucial in a lot of um, FDJ's success. 
Um, and now she's moved over to, to Trek Segafredo. And I think that she's going to be really critical in their success. You know, she's going to be a real key player for Elisa Longaborghini in the mountains. But I, I thought it was really, really nice to hear her say in that interview how she doesn't just have team ambitions. She has her own ambitions. Um, so she obviously realises how good she's got. Um, and that's really great because I do think she she kind of previously she was a bit of a dark horse you know last year she was so much better and she was at the front of these races all the time working really hard and it was like people were like kind of surprised which I don't really know why because maybe they just don't really watch enough women's cycling but anyway um (laughs) I think I think it's also though in her nature she's so kind of unassuming yeah um she's very relaxed um she's you know not what you think of as a in terms of kind of character a professional athlete you know she's not someone who's like super super serious uh, or going serious. out there and saying like I'm gonna win this and if I don't I'm gonna be really angry no she's just like oh let's go to the race ha 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 um, and then she gets there and she's like race mode killer mode and she is just so so good at what she does but the key for Trek Segafredo in this national championships was numbers and if you are one person in a race it is incredibly difficult and it's kind of like exponentially easier the number of riders that you have in the team so as soon as you have two people okay so then you can actually do something in the race because especially if you're in a national championships and you are a world tour rider you are marked like you cannot move your ass because everybody is going to follow you so then if you get to the point in the race where it's got hard and you can at least go one two okay well you've you know you've actually got somebody to go one two with and then if you've got a third rider it then becomes so much easier i remember I think it might have been 2019 when Park Hotel Valkenburg had like 13 riders in the Dutch National Championships race and Lorena Vibas won. And that is the problem. You are often the World Tour rider up against, well, Park Hotel weren't, weren't a domestic team, but often there are domestic teams with a huge number of riders because they put all of their riders into the race. And so even though you may be on paper, you know, in terms of numbers, the best rider actually your chance of winning it is really pretty low because depending on the course you just have to wait and wait and wait to get to a point where everybody else has kind of tired themselves out but if you're against a national team that has had people doing one two three four five you know sending off people then you've simply just got no chance like you can't bring back everything on your own and deliver that killer blow so they had Loretta Hansen doing like a huge amount of of kind of you know the dirty work you know bringing bottles, keeping everybody safe, bringing back breaks. And then when it got to the sharp end of the race, they had Spratty and Brodie Chapman to be able to to attack and counterattack and actually get away. And then, you know, once Brodie Chapman was away, Spratty to, to chase things down and bring things back. I mean, obviously we're talking about uh, the numbers, but to give Trek Segafredo uh, even more credit, the numbers that Jaco Alula had... Uh, were huge. I mean, they they were just almost like a full squad, yeah. weren't they? At that, and and they they really couldn't make any inroads. And then, yet yeah, we did also see for Grace Brown, who was the solo representative, as she's an FTJ rider. Um, she was the solo representative of of that team uh, at the championships. She really, she had to burn all her matches, didn't she? She really uh, couldn't save uh, any energy at all because everyone was expecting her to to be one of the the strongest there exactly and and that's the thing you know that gets to a point in these national championships races where and well in any race really where you can decide to to give everything and and have the chance to win but also lose the chance to win 
or you can get to the point where you're like, okay, well now I'm going to race for a medal. And I think from doing a bit of reading, it sounded like other people were happy to just settle for a medal. Um, and Grace, the whole time, still wanted to give everything for that chance to take the jersey and didn't, but came a very, very honourable second. See, this is what I find fascinating, though, when it comes to cycling. It's such a bizarre sport, really. You know, when we're talking about national jerseys being up for grabs or world jerseys, where trade teams really aren't... Um, I was going to say they aren't supposed to factor. I mean, supposed to whatever, but they're not obviously the lines along which a race will be drawn. And yet... That is how it's won and lost. You know, I find that re- I find that really interesting. Yeah, a group of individuals and whether they work as a team. Yeah, and that is the other factor in national championships is whether you know you may have you may have ten riders in a national team in a you know in a domestic team and it might be a really strong domestic team. But if they don't work together yeah. and they don't have that cohesion as a team and they're actually all thinking, well, you know, I could win this for myself, then then that's never going to work. You have to have a group of people who all are, are they're happy for anybody to win it and the mindset has to be like we don't care who's going to win it we're all going to get a chance but as long as we all know that we've got a chance we will all help everybody else as much as we will help ourselves <laughs> well that's true i mean they have 14 uh, different languages that you can learn including spanish french italian german i saw indonesian uh was there if you want to have a bit of bit of something to say uh on your holidays but you know the key thing is that it's you can get 15 minute lessons. It's uh, They've worked, developed it as the most efficient and effective way to learn a new language. And as you say, Orla, um, to, it's focused on natural conversation, things that you actually will use in the real world. And uh, what we can say to listeners even better is that right now, Babbel is offering our listeners six months free with a purchase of a six month subscription with promo code cycling. Go to babbel.com slash play and use promo code cycling for an extra six months free. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash play, promo code cycling. Babbel, language learning that works. Well, uh, Babbel has a lot of languages. It doesn't have Australian uh, <laughs> listed there. <laughs> income. But hopefully uh, English would be uh, good enough. Um, but uh, yeah, loads of action going on in Australia, including the tour down under, uh, which all of you've given us a little teaser about how much uh, you loved watching uh, the tour down under. Of course, one by Grace Brown, but we saw a phenomenal performance by Amanda Spratt on on two of those, well, all three of those stages, actually, in some ways. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting in your chat with Brody Chapman at Rose that she said that um, Amanda Spratt isn't back to her best. She's better than her best. I find that so blinking exciting because... I just felt like I saw a different version of her, one that I haven't seen certainly in a couple of years. And it was that confidence and liberated. Yeah, liberated and hungry. Like she was riding like she was angry, you know, like she had something to prove. I'm sure she's not, but it's that hunger that she seems to have. And that feeds into belief and motivation and further confidence. And the fact that that team have gotten off to such a flyer already when they have a magnificent team as it is and... Lizzie Dignan coming back to racing in the spring. I am beyond excited to see what they're going to do. But Amanda Spratt in particular, I I was just blown away by her. She she just really got my blood pumping. I loved, loved, loved watching how she raced. And like exciting, obviously, that she was brought back. Sad for her. But um, the racing itself was, was absolutely thrilling. But to see Amanda Spratt at that level... Um, when presumably that's not even a target for her season, you know, was thrilling. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. 
Yeah, it was great to see also, especially as, you know, obviously I spoke to her just before the World Championships um, when we were doing a little preview for the podcast. Um, and she was saying, mentioned a little bit about her move to Trek Segafredo, was kind of very much saying that, you know, she was going to take on a leadership role, a kind of, you know, road captain role. She wanted to be a veteran rider who was kind of bringing uh, something to the younger riders, um, you know, showing them some experience. Um, so it was great seeing her kind of go off the front and clearly be a leader in a race, be going for the win and, and having those ambitions uh, because you kind of wrong-footed us a bit to think that she was kind of just there to, to in the twilight of her career, just to, you know, as a mentor. Um, but, you know, and, and as you say, well, I mean, Brody Chapman said that we haven't even seen that, you know, not only is she better, but we haven't even seen the best of her. Um, Lizzie, where do we think that Amanda Spratt um, can Spratty. go from here this season? You know, I, the way that I feel about it is, and I think this is with the um, knowledge now, like having had a few big injuries and wanting to come back from it, even if things keep getting in the way. When you have an injury and you can't ride your bike, you can't do anything, then I guess your your like excitement level about stuff changes. Yeah. You know, when you're new to cycling, you are so excited. Like every race is new. You're so excited. Your your appetite for it is so, so big. And then after a few years, you're, you know, you're going back to the races and your goals get bigger and bigger and you kind of get more and more serious about it. But sometimes you lose that excitement and you still, you're still hungry to win, but you're, you're like hungry in a different way that doesn't have that same excitement and that joy of like, wow, look at what I'm doing now. But then when you have an injury and you can't even ride your bike and she had uh, iliac artery mm-hmm. endocarditis and surgery for that, which is a a big surgery and I, I think she might have had it on both legs actually I can't quite remember but she had that um over the winter l- about a year ago and she came back last year and she was kind of just slowly slowly improving um and I think because of that you kind of your expectations change right because you know you've been through something and so then when you're you know you're racing at the front of a bike race again you're like oh my god look i'm right at the front of a bike race this is so great rather than i'm at the front of the bike race of course i'm at the front of the bike race i've got to win you know you like really want to be there you really want to attack you're really excited about it again in a way that maybe you wouldn't have been excited about it if that adversity hadn't happened to you and i wonder if it's something to do with that but i do think that we have to bear in mind this is january we also have to bear in mind how good Grace Brown is as a climber. I mean, she's good at everything, but she is a phenomenal climber. We've seen the way that she's climbed in Liege, Bastogne, on Liege, and so many other races. And the way that Spratty exploded on the final stage of that corkscrew climb, um, Grace Brown couldn't get back to her and, and did come back to her, but only on the descent and the flat bit at the end. I think that shows how good Spratty's going to be in the high mountains. And I wonder if maybe she could even be a leader in the Giro or the Tour de France, maybe the Giro because it's usually more climby than the Tour de France for Trek Segafredo because Elisa Longo-Borghini is obviously a phenomenal athlete, a great champion, but she is not the best climber in the world. And I think that that is what Trek Segafredo is missing. And they've brought in Gaia Raolini this year, who they hope to be you know, the future climbing star, but she's not ready yet. She needs to learn. And I wonder if actually Spratty was kind of brought in as as a help for Longa Borghini in the mountains. Um, but actually she might end up being the leader because she's been so close in the Giro so many times. Obviously she's been there supporting Anamique. And if this is anything to go by, 
I think that her form, her climbing form this year, and and just like her all round form, her hunger, her excitement, her appetite for the races is going to be something that we've not seen yet, ever. <laughs> I know it's interesting, isn't it? Because we don't know if that rate, if that um, corkscrew road, uh, which is where, where um, she attacked, had been a little bit longer because the gap was just getting bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger between Spratt and Grace Brown. If that had been longer, I mean. Uh, you know, that gap would have only um, increased seeing the form that, that Spratt was on. Uh, but I think also uh, what is key is that Amanda Spratt, I think, really benefits being in a situation where she's on a team with other champions. I mean, that sounds idiotic because, of course, you're going to benefit from being on a team of other champions. But I feel like in her the years where she has been looked to as the leader, uh, as we're all in for you, uh, Amanda Spratt, she hasn't really flourished as much. And actually when she was alongside uh, Annemiek van Fluten and and probably here when she's uh, alongside Lizzie Dynan and Lisa Longo-Borghini, um, I imagine that she will really uh, flourish because it, it would give her a little bit more uh, freedom. Um, it takes the pressure off slightly. Um, and then it means that when you're on a good day, you can go for it. If you're not on a good day, you don't have to expend all that energy uh, just to get a, 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 a top 10. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the same with Brody Chapman. And that's also the way that Trek Segafredo race. You know, they race with numbers and they know that, um, okay, maybe they've got a plan A, but, you know, when Lizzie Dagnan won Paris-Roubaix, she was not the plan A. In fact, she was like the plan D for the day. <laughs> yeah. um, but she got into the move. They knew she was strong enough. And so they gave her the opportunity and she went for it and she won. Um and because of the way that Trek raced like that, that's why it's. I think it's going to be such a good team for both Brodie Chapman and Amanda Spratt to flourish. I have to say as well, full credit to Grace Brown for how she raced and how she won the race because we knew from the off really that Spratty was in great form. I said I was, wasn't going to call her Spratty, I've, I've succumbed. Uh, that Amanda Spratt was in... <laughs> Mandy. <laughs> Mandy. 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 Um, that she was in great form. You know, we could see that from stage one. We could see it massively from stage two. Grace Brown will have known that it was going to be a big ask to be able to beat Amanda Spratt because, you know, she's won this race three times. And as you say, Rose, if Corkscrew had been longer, then Spratt might have had more of a chance. But you know what road lies ahead of you. You know what the challenges are. And Grace Brown, you know, was very clever with her gearing. She knew she would have to push a high gear on that descent to be able to catch up the grind that she pretty much knew she would lose to Amanda Spratt. She kept her head. She fought for the seconds. And I think it was a very clever race from Grace Bryan as well as being physically strong. And that's exciting to watch as well. You know, I feel like it's a bit of a coming of age for her as well. So there's so much about this Tour Down Under that gave me so much to be excited about. Because I think as well, once we get to Europe, we don't have the full field in Australia. We don't have the full complement of teams. And sometimes I think some of the talent from Australia can get lost amongst the noise of the Europeans. Um, in particular. So it's nice to see what they can do against each other when they are clearly in extremely good form. If any of the Europe, you know, the big European names had been there, it would have been just as much of a challenge. It wouldn't have made it any more difficult, I don't think, because um, they're they're always in incredible form because of the nationals. Um, but I like having that, that sort of chance to watch them racing against each other in that way in a proper race um, and get us properly excited about the rest of the Women's World Tour. It, it bodes very well, I think, for 2023. And Grace Brown, you know, timed that state, that last stage mm. perfectly, didn't she? She kind of caught up to Amanda Spratt with a kilometre to go and then just knowing that she would have a better better sprint on her, just played a bit of cat and mouse and then won it with uh, full confidence. But, you know, it was clear, like you say, all of that, 
that Grace Brown knew actually from the very beginning uh, of the stage race that it was going to yeah. be a tough ask to beat Amanda Spratt uh, and to beat the competition because she was going for every exactly. bonus second. All the intermediate sprints, she was uh, taking three seconds here, three seconds there. Um, you know, she knew mm. that she needed uh, every yeah, single one clever. of those seconds to, she only won to by take 10 the win. Well, well she, end, talked so. about, she talked about the... Um, the scars from the women's yeah, tour. Yeah, of course. You know, so back in the women's tour, she yeah. really thought she'd won that. And then, you know, she lost by a second to Elisa Belongo Borghini. And so she didn't want that to be happening again. And basically, she did everything that she could. And I always find it so funny when people say, oh, somebody timed this to perfection. <laughs> she <laughs> caught her with one kilometer to go as if she planned oh, oh, where sorry, she Lizzie. was going oh, to. <laughs> I didn't hear you laughing when I said that <laughs> what about you know, uh, Rose, 30 huh? seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> because, because it's like, I mean, Grace Brown was just going full gas and Amanda Spratt was going full gas and she just caught her when she caught her. Um, uh, and I always find it oh. so funny that people think that this, this is premeditated. This the Cycling Podcast Feminine uh, for January. We'll have a different special guest. Lizzie Bangs will not be returning. <laughs> uh, no, but it's true. It's a really good point, though. And listen, but this, Lizzie, as a quick diversion, this is why I think it's really useful because you tell us the insight from inside the peloton. We're able to give the perspective that that we look at from the outside, you know? And I think often... Yeah, from we, normal people. Yeah, 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 yeah. But <laughs> yeah. the normal people make Nor- up most of the people. Uh, watch women's racing or any kind of yeah. racing, you know? And so we'll look at that. We're the cycling for dummies uh, no, but, but, folk, aren't we? But there is an element of both of those, really. Yeah, of course, you caught her when she caught her. But she would have planned to catch her before the line, <laughs> you know. So she, yeah, you know, she yeah, caught her yeah. when she caught her, but she still had to know what to do in that final yeah. kilometer yeah, yeah, to yeah. win because she'd been she'd been chasing so hard, and she would have arguably had to put in a bigger effort than Spratty on the climb. Um, and yeah, you still had to get the tactics right, right? And and Spratty was actually sprinting really, really yeah. well. You know, she's not a climber that gets to the line and has nothing. She's a climber that gets to the line. You still have to be careful for her. So, I mean, obviously we know that Grace Brown has an exceptional sprint that can be, you know, you can mix it with the best pure sprinters on her day. Um, but yeah, it it's everything really. It's, I mean, it's, it is kind of chance of the point that she catches her, but after that point, it's knowing what to do. The Cycling Podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport, sponsors of the Cycling Podcast. Now, with the new year comes New Year's resolutions. Maybe you've got some yourself. Maybe it's to exercise more, to get out on the bike more, or maybe you've got a sporting challenge on the horizon in 2023. Well, there's an obvious choice of where to go for all your sports nutrition needs, and that is scienceinsport.com. Now, if you're going out in the cold and getting those winter miles in, it's vitally important to fuel properly. And that's where the Science in Sport Go Gels come in. They have been developed to be fast acting and easily digested. And most importantly of all, they come in a range of delicious flavours, including cherry or orange or how about fruit salad even. And I'm very glad to announce the vanilla gels, which were a real hit, uh, are back in stock on the website. But they are limited edition gels, so they're going on a first come, first serve basis so if you want to get those or anything else for your sports nutrition needs whether that be for energy hydration or recovery then head to scienceinsport.com well during the december episode of the cycling podcast feminine if you can remember that far back and also if you can remember anything outside of the chaotic uh quiz final that we had in that (laughs) 
uh, episode where you both Congratulations put yourselves uh, to shame. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it Did your trophy arrive? Um, my trophy comes in the form of self-satisfaction. Thank you. It, li- it lives, I carry it everywhere, <laughs> Lizzie. <laughs> I don't win much, as I said, so... I take I take whatever wins I can. But if you yeah, if you can remember that episode and you can see past um what was just I think Lionel listened to it and like he just said he was kind of overwhelmed with the the shame of the competitive nature of you both. If you missed um, it, it's worth a listen. That might be me. See how low we go. See how much we care about stuff that really shouldn't matter. <laughs> you both, you know, you, you knew the answers. So in that way it's not shameful, but it's just the you know the way that the game was played, the sporting nature of the game. But anyway, if you can remember that in the uh, news roundup in December, I uh, teased a little bit. There was some good news to come out of the uh, drops team, the Lakol Wahoo, uh, formerly the Lakol Wahoo team, and that was to say that they've uh, got a new sponsor on board. Uh, so they will be Life Plus uh, Wahoo next year, which is is good to have some um, good news. All uh, isn't it? Um, at a time when you know there are so many teams folding or or not uh maybe not even folding but not being created when they've been you know promised to uh exist as it were it's nice to have a, a positive uh story isn't it yeah it is nice to have a positive story i mean it's it's um i guess it's a bit of a cautionary tale as well because they um as a team, were in such a strong trajectory and they had such a strong ethos, didn't they, in terms of being the most professional amateur team in the women's peloton. And um, they did a brilliant job and they've 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 maintained that ethos. But you say about, you know, teams that are promised a future, I guess that's, that's the truth of any sport. You're not promised anything. And women's cycling has moved on quite a lot since we first started talking about that team an awful lot actually and we've got um, teams that have become much bigger and um, with the investment of squads that have a men's side as well as a women's side and um, it's a completely different landscape now and um, it's, it is great to see that they are continuing but I'll be interested to see in what in what way and what they can do with uh, what their setup now is because they lost some big names didn't they with um, not just the uncertainty, but it was the announcement that they were falling essentially, and so riders who thought they were contracted for the next year or two had to um, go off elsewhere. So they'll have lost their biggest names. They don't have any star names, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because um, the names that they do have then will be able to um, find their place a lot more easily. So yeah, it is it is great, um, but women's cycling now makes a bigger noise. You know, there is more money in it, there is more structure in it, and it's more difficult, I guess, to find your place amongst all of that. So they'll need to get invitations to world tour races and they'll need to make some sort of an impact really i think because they're surviving but i can't imagine that um some form of damage hasn't been done with that you know they've got to find a new direction now really yeah think, i mean they've lost i mean gladys i mean during the tour de france uh fam we saw a great performance from them mm. uh michael van der Doen and uh also gladys verhulst uh both um performing exceptionally on, on you know what is arguably the the biggest stage but not with those riders is kind of like uh starting again isn't it but um and it's lucky that those riders have found uh other teams really lizzie isn't it um that we will be seeing these kind of bright young stars elsewhere yeah i mean michael vanderdan had already signed for canyon shram um gladys verhulst already over to fdj so that was all done and dusted pre um pre sort of uh yeah loss of a sponsor um, yes, yeah, Saga 
Um, but but I mean, losing Myline van Kloof and Jesse van, van der Brugler, who were both really dedicated to that team, and losing Nico, Nico Marsh as the director, who really seems to have just grown that team so much over the last couple of years, I think that is a big loss. Um, Ella Harris is is still with the team. They've also brought Maria Nov- Novodolovskaya, <laughs> sorry Maria, <laughs> in, who she's a huge talent as well. Um, I, I think there are some benefits to to having a squad where people don't know the names because you can go under the radar and you can do really exciting things, uh, but you also need to have the direction in order to to facilitate that. You need to have a director who's going to say, like, let's go out and and let's be brave because it's, it's not easy to, to be brave and to just kind of, you know, ride off uh, and, and see what happens. But that is how you get your name out there. And that is how you win some of the big races, because if you just wait till the end, then you're not going to beat Annemiek van Bluen on the climb or you're not going to beat Lorena Vibas in the sprint. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm delighted to see that the team is still carrying on after the the loss of B&B hotels before it even started. It would have been just awful to have lost two women cycling teams uh, so late in one season. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that brings us over to the, the B&B hotel saga as well, because that has just been so painful because we do have some riders still without jobs. I think Chloe Hosking is still without a job. She's she's riding for uh, Roxol over at the Tour Down Under. Um, but, you know, currently she's without a um a team over in Europe and she's she's said publicly that she is not prepared to to race for free um and she knows her value and she won't race for less than her value and uh women's cycling has changed so much over the years and and she you know she's been a huge part of that change and I think that that's I think that's really brave of her to do that and really wise as well because you almost devalue the sport if you say you're going to race for free so um it's great news that that Life Plus Wahoo are, are coming back, um, but it's also so sad that we still have this situation where, um, you know, we do have some riders out of contract, or, you know, without a job because of a team folding before it even got off the ground. Um, and of course, you know, Chloe Hosking was the only, I mean, there are many riders involved in that B&B hotels uh, fallout, including Audrey Cordon Rigaud as well, who spoke publicly about um, the, yeah, the saga we've used the word saga far too many times in this one little segment. yeah there's, just, there's been so many sagas been and she, she did speak publicly um at the end of at the end of the year beginning of january um about everything that happened with b&b hotels and i think the thing that struck me very most was she was talking about really how emotionally scarred she was about it because it seemed like this team was really built around her you know they came to her with a project she brought loads of riders to the team you know she proposed the idea to the riders she brought staff to the team and when it collapsed, um, she said that she felt such a huge amount of guilt around that. And I'm so, so glad that she has found a home with the Zaf, Zaf cycling team. Um, and I think five riders from the original B&B hotel squad have gone there, um, which is great. But it sounds like that that deep emotional scarring from, I think, the deceit around everything the, the the lack of truth that she was told with the situation i think that is going to take some time to heal um and it's incredibly sad it's incredibly sad i do hope that you know everybody does end up with the job staff and riders because i think it's easy to forget about the staff you know sometimes um yeah mechanics one um 
because you know teams plan things so much further in advance and often by this point actually they they have filled all their spots and they don't need people anymore so it's just the whole thing is just a bitterly sad saga yeah and it's difficult for Cordon Rago in particular because she was the figurehead of that proposed team and so the uh, fact that she was on board already she knows will have been the deciding factor for other riders joining in so she clearly feels some sort of a guilt or responsibility for um other riders being in the same position whereby they've been lied to as she says and um left then without a team um it is great for her that she she does have her spot but again it comes back to the problem that we have with cycling as a sport as a structure as a financial model as a business model something has to change and i don't know where that comes from anymore because you know it's exactly the same in the men's side of things it's not particular to women's cycling but as a sport it just doesn't support itself you know and i say i don't know where it should come from obviously it should come from the uci but it, there, there has to be a more sustainable business model. There has to be. But even, even you know, we started this podcast talking about the fact that we couldn't remember the name of um, Watson Chops uh, Alula um, because they were Green yeah. Edge last year. You know, like, <laughs> the, we could because be flippant changed, about it. They've but changed, they changed names so many times. Mitchelton's yeah, Green Edge, Arca Green Edge, Arca And you've got to really, really care yeah. about the sport to bother paying attention to who your team was last year. You know, it, it sounds obvious to us and anyone probably who's listening to this podcast because... They're they're obviously cycling fans. But I'm sorry, if I try to explain to even my husband or my friends who are not into cycling, why on earth a team is called what it's called for a start because it is an absolute <laughs> mouth boggle. But why they were called something else last year, how they can change sometimes names mid-season. It is Halfway. ridiculous. You know, you've got Manchester United this- forever. You know, you've yeah. got... The um, I was going to say LA Rams, the LA Rams. I don't know, whatever. You've got you, you know, global franchises forever, and and uh, we talk about the core of a team and the history of a team. It means only something to the management of the team, quite frankly. How on earth can you bring fans onto a team and get them supporting a team if that team changes everything, bar? maybe their core sponsor year on year and their jersey is different and, and the entire setup is different. The whole it's a, it's a massive, massive, massive problem with cycling that we don't get the chance to address because we're too busy talking about the day-to-day and the details and the race results and all the rest of it. But it needs to be sorted. It needs to be. And it comes well, to the Tour of France, we... which is the biggest race of the year and every single squad changes their jersey. Yeah. So if you do follow cycling, yeah. then it's incredibly confusing because no the teams on the back. that you follow are suddenly... Yeah. yeah, no names you on the back. You can't tell who anybody is. I mean, it's just, it, really, the sport has to help itself sometimes. Oh. It does. But, I mean, we still love it. Of course Even we do. We that's why it. we get frustrated, though. Only because we care. You know, oh, if we no, didn't care, then, we wouldn't, then I wouldn't get so annoyed about it. You know, it just... Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you'll be happy to know, although we've got another 11 months of uh, cycling <laughs> and this podcast to well, come. I am happy. Um, I started with goosebumps and I'll finish with goosebumps. That's how it goes. <laughs> That's good. And uh, obviously the racing will return uh, to Europe before we uh, three um, meet again. Um We'll have the omelette will already be checked off. So that's the real tester, isn't it? That's the real time where we can see how all of these teams and riders uh, are actually faring. So, uh, Lizzie, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, Lizzie, when what what are we gonna where are we gonna see you? 
Tell us, do you well, know a racing a schedule yet? If, this, if the uh, last hour has been anything to go by, Lizzie's yeah. um, podcasting was interrupted by the French postman, Le Postman, delivering a pair of skis. <laughs> well, that's that's my, um, that's my well, what is it? 2028, that's my 2030 Olympics goal. <laughs> oh, that would Brilliant. be amazing. That would, that be, that would be so amazing. Cool. Cross-country Lizzie skiing. Banks representing Papua New Guinea on the <laughs> ski. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm sure you'll be a fantastic skier. Um, well, I will be. I hope to be returning to the races, perhaps uh, late April, early May. Um, I've still got a lot of work to do. Um, having had, you know, people, you know, cry about having three days off the bike, and I think I had seven and a half months off the bike. Oh man! Um, and seven and a half months of zero activity. So there's a hell of a lot of work to do. Um and it's it's slow and it's hard, but I, I'm making progress. So hopefully uh yeah, late April and May ish is when you'll Excellent. see me back. Well we're but, glad to have your company while you're not uh jet setting <laughs> and uh are you sure? racing. <laughs> Until you correct us and then call us dummies or say that our ideas are laughable. Um all uh, another proponent of laughable ideas um will uh <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for your company and see you uh, next month, ladies. Thank you both. Bye. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.